According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in Proverbs 13. We are approaching the end of the chapter now, verses uh, 21 through uh, 25, or actually verse 20 through 25. We'll spend, I imagine, the bulk of our time in verse 20 this morning and we talk about walking with wise men and uh, or being a companion of fools so uh, choose you this day which friends you're going to walk with and uh, make a make a good choice on that basis before we get started let's take a moment for silent prayer asking the father to bless our time of study shall we pray Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for your, uh, your patience towards us, your, your grace towards us, day by day and moment by moment. Father, your mercies are renewed each morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I thank you for this morning and the blessing we have to assemble together. I do thank you for the book of Proverbs. They are different than any other book in the Bible. And I pray that we can study them and learn them and accept them for what they're saying and for what they mean. And Father, uh, bless our time together today. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So in the outline, as we've gone through, we've seen 12 items, 13 items, 14 items. As we've worked our way through this, we talk about uh, last week, we did quite a bit actually. We covered quite a bit last week because when you get to this text, and I'll back up even one more slide from that. Uh, verses 12 through 19 is, is called an inclusio. It's a Latin term. Um, the, there's, a, there's other ways to describe it, but you've got uh, a pattern whereby the first verse is matched up with the last verse. The second verse is paired up with a second to last verse. Okay? And it's like a, a chiastic structure uh, where you're working your way inward, or sometimes you can think of it as a sandwich structure where you've got a top slice of bread, a bottom slice of bread, and you know all the good stuff in between. So that's uh, what what you what you center on, right? So verse twelve with verse nineteen uh, are paired together. Verse thirteen with verse eighteen are paired together. They're actually doubly paired. Verse fourteen is paired together with verse seventeen, and then the middle is is really the highlight of the whole text is uh, centered there in verses 15 and 16. And so we took some time over the last couple of weeks to work on these, uh, realizing that uh, verses like this could be tragically abused, misapplied. You could look at a verse that says, you know, uh, desire realized is sweet to the soul. So God wants me to have everything I want. If I want it, I should have it, right? Or... Uh, the uh, uh, verse in verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So don't withhold anything that I want. You know, don't, uh, don't keep me from having all my wants because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so if I don't get what I want, then I'm going to have a sick heart. You don't want me to have a sick heart, do you? God wants me to have what I want. And, uh, and the second part of verse 12, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, then obviously, what could be more plain than that? Uh, the tree of life, that's got to be a good thing. God wants me to have that. 
And so you can twist these verses and you can misapply these verses. You can take them and separate them out of not only the immediate context of this passage here that's working its way inward to verses 15 and 16, or um, you can also ignore parallel passages or other passages whereby we understand that God does give, God does take away, His name is blessed both times, that uh, it is His wisdom to withhold what you don't need. And uh, and if you want something that's different than what God wants, that's the problem. We have to adjust our wants to His wants. We want to be walking with Him. And then if we have those desires, then clearly uh, we can make the appropriate application there. We also discussed last week our attitude towards the Word of God. I like the way verse 13 and verse 18 take our attitude towards doctrine and put it in financial terms, that we have financial expressions that are found. So in verse 13 it says, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it. Okay, and we get that. We know what a debt is, all right? In fact, we're Americans. Americans know debt better than any culture ever in the history of mankind, okay? And so, but the idea of being indebted to the Word of God, what is that principle about? What is the, what is the sense of having a just claim? How does the Word of God have a just claim over me when I despise doctrine? All right, that's powerful. And, uh, and hopefully um, we understand that. So do you fear the commandment? Do you regard reproof? If you have the right attitude towards the Word of God, then the cash flow, quote-unquote, again, keeping it in the metaphor. But if you have a positive attitude towards doctrine, well then the uh, the benefit is coming your direction. It is an asset, not a liability on uh, on the ledger. But do you despise the Word? Do you neglect disciplined instruction? Well, okay, this is now an accounts payable then, not an account receivable. And uh, the expression there. So um, the second part of verse 13 says the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Again, a money term, a financial expression. Verse 18, poverty and shame, financial expressions. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be rewarded or will be honored in the sense there. All right, so if you want to keep the uh, blessings coming, you remember you cannot outgive God so uh, keep uh, humbling yourself as unto the Lord and uh, honor and revere His Word. And then this prosperity, this wealth, which is true wealth, uh, will continue to pour forth in, uh, in your direction. Also last week we discussed phase two salvation, how we get delivered. We get delivered from temptations, we get delivered from sin uh, snares, right? The Word of God becomes our provision for phase two salvation. We're not talking about that Billy Graham evangelism moment whereby you receive eternal life. That's phase one salvation. But when we talk about phase two, we're talking about the experience in time, day by day, moment by moment. I need to be saved today from uh, the next sin snare that's out there, the next trigger for my German temper, or or the next uh, trigger for whatever the case may be. And uh, I don't have to sin the next time that trigger hits because the Word of God can rescue me from that. And it's designed to rescue me from that. And so we have the promise there in, uh, in verse 17. Uh, a wicked messenger falls into adversity. Uh, actually, verse 14 and 17. I meant to fix that. Verse 14 and 17. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. 
The Word of God will come alive and spotlight things, and it will steer you this direction. You're about to turn that direction, but the Word of God takes hold and pulls you the way you need to go to turn aside from the snares of death. And likewise, verse 17, the uh, falling into adversity or bringing healing, particularly when it's lived out with a community of faith. And there were principles that applied there too. All right, then verse four, uh, point 14, all of this was last week. We started to run out of time as we got down to this last one. Verse 15 and 16, which really is the centerpiece of this paragraph. So where we see good understanding produces favor. All right, do you want to be a grace factory? <laughs> this is how you do it. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. See, so you and I should be in, in grace production, not just conduits, not just the grace of God that comes from God, the source of God, and flows through us, right? That's a conduit of grace. I get that. We can teach that. Other passages speak to that. But this passage actually speaks to its productivity, as it says here, produces favor. And uh, I think Jesus spoke to this as well when he talked about uh, uh, the one who comes to him uh, or who drinks the living water will never thirst and from his innermost beings will spring forth. Doesn't it say that in John 4? From his innermost beings will spring forth those streams of water. We become productive. We become sources ourselves, see, um, in this this, uh, way. All right. But the way of the treacherous is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. And so the idea of the display as well, what are we producing? Are we producing folly or are we producing grace? And whatever we produce, we're going to be producing more and more and more of it the longer we stay, either under teaching or away from teaching. And it doesn't take long. You know, even believers with doctrine, if they get away from it, if they, uh, you know, if they start to drift, if they start to if they, uh, yeah, they used to have a lot of doctrine a while back, but they haven't really been disciples lately. Let me tell you something. According to this text, as well as plenty of illustrations of what we've seen, all right, but according to this text, that production increases. They become more and more foolish the longer they stay in the darkness. Darkness gets darker and light gets lighter. So the way of the treacherous is hard and fools display folly. It just gets worse and worse and worse the longer you stay in it. All right, so um, today I want to get past that, and we want to talk about um, we want to talk about verses twenty and twenty-one. And so this would be point fifteen <coughs> in the outline. He who walks with wise men will be wise. How about that? You don't have to study. You don't have to learn the Word of God, just hang out with smart people. Okay. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> All right? Because walking with, that's your walk. That's how you conduct your life. And if you're walking with them, that means you're in church with them. You're studying with them. You're under teaching with them. It is the totality of your walk. All right. Quit writing that down. Read the verses with me first. Then we'll let you write it down. All right, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Adversity pursues sinners, but the righteous, and that's plural, um, just like sinners is plural, the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. 
All right, so here's the pair. And these two verses are, are paired together poetically. These two verses are units. So we want to study them as a unit. And we want to understand that what's happening now in these two Proverbs, what's happening in these verses is that we are taking personal and public wisdom and we are now bringing them into a corporate application. We're bringing them into a group setting. And so whatever we've learned, principles of wisdom expressed individually are going to be amplified collectively. Principles of wisdom, everything we've learned and we continue to learn, the principles of wisdom expressed individually are amplified collectively. Okay? And we're going to see that. We're going to see not only these verses, but a bunch of parallel verses through uh, Proverbs and Psalms, Old Testament, New Testament as well. The principles of wisdom. And that's the thing. You have to learn it yourself. You, yourself, personally. You can't just observe it by osmosis. You can't just, I mean, there will be blessing by association, of course. So if you have a a believing spouse and they're learning doctrine, then there will be a secondary blessing by association that will, in effect, bless you because they are uh, learning the Word of God, of course. But that's not what we're talking about here. If you are going to learn wisdom, then you need to be under teaching. You need to be under the authority of the Word of God. You need to be uh, listening as the Holy Spirit communicates to your soul. And so then you will personally um, receive these principles of wisdom, and you will be wiser the more that you acquire. Okay, So acquire wisdom with your wisdom, acquire understanding, and we want that. We want every individual believer to get that for themselves. All right. Now, having done that then, what happens if you have two believers that are both doing that? Okay, Say a husband and a wife. Hey, and there's a formula. They're both positive to Bible doctrine. <laughs> okay? They're both saved. They're both hungry. They're both growing. He's growing in his faith. She's growing in her faith. He's becoming a wiser believer. She's becoming a wiser believer. So what happens then collectively? What does that do for their marriage? What does that do for the two of them together? Okay? Well, it just amplifies it. And I believe it does so exponentially. I don't believe it's one plus one equals two. I believe it's multiplied. All right? And then what happens when you add a third? You add a child or a fourth or a fifth, okay? What happens if you have six members of a household and all six are born again and all six are positive to, to the Word of God? What happens if you've got 50 members of a church and they're all hungry for teaching? And so the, all these principles then, they can be expressed individually, they should be expressed individually. Beyond that, when they are expressed collectively, they are amplified. These principles become amplified. And the friends we walk with are going to contribute to that abundance. The friends we walk with are going to contribute to that abundance. Okay. Now there's also a flip side to this, I didn't put it on the slide, but there is a flip side to this. The other friends we could walk with, if we have companions of, uh, that aren't positive, okay? That's uh, the companion of fools, and they suffer harm. And uh, the uh, crowd of sinners, uh, adversity is going to chase that, uh, that crowd of sinners. So stay away from that crowd, all right? If you want to be in that crowd, 
and you want the, the adversity to, to be chasing you down like it's chasing down everybody else in that crowd, um, you're welcome to it, but the Bible says don't do that, your pastor says don't do that, and just common sense says who wants to be a part of that? Okay. All I really want to stress on, on this point is the positive side of this verse. That uh, we should have these kind of uh, companions. Alright, so the poetry between 20A and 20B now, we have he who walks with and we have a companion. Okay? And those expressions, we want to put those together and realize it's saying the same thing just in different ways. Because a walk, if you're walking together with somebody, that's more than just simply somebody you know. All right? And you know, you have friends and then you have friends. You have people you know, you have acquaintances. You have people you know by name, but they may not remember your name. Okay? You have uh, people you know who they are, but you haven't spoken to them in years and years. And that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Because this is a walk, and this is a walk together. That means that you are you are um, connected. That means you have a vested interest. You are journeying together in whatever this capacity is, all right? So that means that when there's a snare, you're both walking through it. The valley of the shadow of death, you're both walking through it. Everything that goes together with a walk. So the walk of the wise... The walk of the wise is what we're talking about. This is a believer who's saved, who's hunger for teaching, that's operating in a local church assembly, okay? Bringing it into a church age application here. If you're, if you're truly walking with the wise, that means that you're fellowshipping with other believers, you're under uh, instruction, Bible instruction, you're praying with one another, you're serving one another. Everything that we, that we uh, try to stress here at Austin Bible Church. And then the idea of a companion, the, uh, the tandem expression there in verse 20, the companion of fools. What does it mean to be a companion? Okay, Goodness, that's been in the news since Monday morning, right? Since uh, the horrible shooting in, in uh, Las Vegas. And there's the shooter, and then there's this mysterious Filipino lady who might not even be Filipino, who could be Indonesian, who could be from Taiwan, who could be from, there's a third country they said she could have been from. They don't know. All right, and she might be in her fifties. She might be in her sixties because they've got different dates of birth for her. She's got two different social security numbers. Um, is she a girlfriend? Is she a wife? Is she? A, so they've kind of settled on companion, all right, because they don't know what else to call her, and uh, is the strangest companion in the world because she wasn't actually there. She was out of the country, uh, but uh, evidently her credit card was there or something. Anyway. They don't know what to call her, so they just settle on companion. And something similar happens today because our culture is so insane that uh, we don't know uh, if people are married or not married. Do we call them your wife or your spouse or your girlfriend or your companion, your significant other? I mean, what do we, we kind of struggle. We lose the language when we surrender the language. So let's get back to the Bible. What does the Bible talk about with companion? That's actually a beautiful term. It's uh, the Hebrew ro'eh that speaks of a companion, speaks of a friend, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Also, by the way, speaks of a shepherd. The Hebrew for shepherd is the same, the same three uh, radical uh, Hebrew expression, the ro'eh, as far as that goes. So um, anyway, we have a, uh, an intimate friendship that's spoken of with respect to this companion. The kind of friend, as I said, that sticks closer than a brother that actually shepherds 
the kind of shepherding care that's applied in a friendship. And so that's then the companion of fools. You don't want to be a companion to fools, okay? Not with that kind of intimacy, not with that kind of um, connection. So the friends we walk with are going to contribute to the abundance. It's going to contribute to the abundance. There's going to be a reward. The righteous, and that's a plural noun, um, the righteous ones, the righteous uh, saints that are walking together, the righteous wise ones that are walking together, they will be rewarded with abundance or with prosperity. Okay, and as we said last week, we're not talking U.S. dollars. This is not a this is not a money thing that we can limit to or, or pervert the way that a, a prosperity gospel guy might say that if uh, you know if you really love the Lord, then God wants you to be rich. And if you're not rich, then you are doing something wrong, okay? No, the adverse, the prosperity, the abundance, this is what Jesus said when He said, I have come that they might have life, that they might have it, what? They might have it abundantly, okay? That's what it means to be born again and living in the Word of God. So, choose to identify with the righteous. Choose to identify with the righteous, I think this comes down to an identification concept. I think it comes down to uh, who who do we associate with? What what are our associations? Who do we identify with? Remember, Christianity is a public witness. It's a public testimony. When you go to the ritual of water baptism, you are in a very public way being dunked under, being brought back up, coming out of the water, and you are telling the whole world, men and angels alike, that you have died, been buried, and have been risen in Christ Jesus that you identify with the body of Christ, that this is, you are one of the saints. You walk with the saints, that you identify with the righteous, that I weep with them, I, I rejoice with them, I suffer with them, I love them, I serve them. Um, all things are mine because all things are Christ. Okay? And uh, this is what we want to do. And so we want to identify with the righteous. And as we identify with the righteous, then it's a win-win. I'm going to benefit, they're going to benefit, we're all going to benefit in uh, in this process. And that's a concept we've had already in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 20. Proverbs 2 and verse 20 speaks of this in uh, making sure that we have the appropriate uh, associations, the positive peer pressure, if you will. Um, and there's warnings, obviously. There's just like uh, our passage today, there's a flip side that we want no part of, of the wrong associations. We need to look out for those that delight in doing evil. We want no part of them. Um, wisdom is, the, the, the Bible doctrine is going to deliver us from the strange woman, the adulteress who flatters with her words. All right. Anyway, verse 20. So you will walk in the way of good men. And keep to the paths of the righteous. Again, plural. The righteous saints, the body of Christ, we would say in the New Testament. Um, For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. There's consequences. There is blessing when you associate with believers. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. So there is a concept there. What do you want to identify with? You want to identify with Bible-believing Christians? I tell you, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade Austin Bible Church for any other church you know, in, in, in the country, in the world. 
Because this is where God has blessed us. This is where He has designed for us to be. You want to go hang out with Satan's crowd? (laughs) There's consequences for that. Proverbs uh, 12, just a chapter ago, in chapter 12 and verse 26. If chapter 2 was too long ago, then maybe chapter 12 was more recent. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so the value of personal wisdom and public wisdom, the benefit you can have to your community, the benefit you can have to your neighbor. If uh, you've got born-again believers in your neighborhood, there's a blessing there. Somebody else with divine viewpoints, somebody else with biblical norms and standards. I love it if my neighbor is completely sold out to the fact of uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and thou shalt not steal and uh, do not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife. Or I mean, if, if, if my neighbors were all biblical, that'd be great. I would have no complaints. Uh, but if, you know, if you have a neighbor that's not biblical in his thinking, that's worldly in his thinking, that's satanic in his thinking, if I have a neighbor that's jihadist in his thinking, are there consequences? All right. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And the concept there being is that we're both iron if we're both saved, right? We're both iron if we're both under teaching. We're both iron if we're both... This gets used in a lot of applications or a lot of illustrations, you know. Uh, pastors go to pastors' conferences and they like to quote, you know, iron sharpens iron. So you put 50 pastors in a room and what do you got? Um, but the, the, the concept though, I think it's not just limited to, don't limit it to just a, a pastors. Put two believers together. All right? When you're working on a shift with 20 police officers and only two of you are saved... Well then, guess what? You better spend some time with that man, okay? And uh, encourage one another because you know you're like back-to-back gunfighters or something than a in a in a shootout in the old west. So iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another, and that's the benefit. So choose your friends wisely. Choose who you associate with, and if you notice that, hey, yes, he's born again. Yes, he's saved. He's going to go to heaven when he dies, but he is not under teaching at all. He is not a disciple. He is as worldly as, as the unbeliever. His views are worldly. He's conformed to this age. He is pathetic in, in his outlook for how things ought to be in, in, in different things. Um, that's not iron sharpening iron there. Okay, That's defilement that's going to rub off on you and you've got to be careful in that regard. Don't uh, say, well, yeah, but he's saved. He's not, he's not occupied with Christ. He's not living and abiding in the Word of God. And that's, uh, that's not an iron sharpening iron illustration. All right, so there's that. These are the references all in Proverbs. Uh, I think we have uh, additional, some beautiful amplification of this that comes out of Psalms, starting in Psalm 16. Many of the Psalms address this. And some of my favorite Psalms actually address this. And these principles are so timeless. These principles are so universal, by the way. They're very easy for us to apply as New Testament believers in the church age, even more so 
than Israel could apply. And yet these are passages from the Old Testament, passages for Israel's application. But they're universal. Much of wisdom literature is universal. Principles of application for any any born-again believer of any dispensation. So Psalm 16, this is a Davidic psalm, a miktam of David. Uh, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth. So, so here is, here's a believer in trouble, right? You ever pray this prayer? Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. And we don't even know what the circumstances might have been. It could have been anything. David had all kinds of things going on, different times of his life. But he said, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. You're going to the Father for protection. You're saying, I need help. And you're the one I'm turning to, Father. Because I don't want help from Satan. I don't want help from any other God. I don't want help from this world. I don't want to help myself. I'm taking refuge in you. I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. I have no good beside you. So if you don't help me, I don't want any other help. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David knows, he says, I'm not alone in this. I have fellow brothers and sisters. I have fellow saints. I have fellow holy ones. And uh, together we can walk in wisdom. Together we can pray. Together we can love one another and serve one another. The majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Okay, that's a, there's a benefit there. Choose to identify with the righteous. Now some people take, because it's saints, and sometimes saints have an angelic use, they uh, take that in in an angelic world, but I don't see that. These are the saints who are in the earth. They're the ones that he's delighting in. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood. See, there's another crowd, and they aren't praying to you. They aren't serving you. They aren't growing in the Word of God. I want no part of that nor will I take their names upon my lips. What does Ephesians say? That you don't participate? You don't even let it be named among you? So who do you identify with? The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So yeah, I wouldn't trade the the Christian way of life or anything. Or the grace-redeemed the grace redemption way of life for anything. David was living the grace redemption way of life and he knew that he had fellow believers to walk that walk with him. All right. Anyway, this is, like I say, Psalm 16 is one of the most beautiful psalms. Um, He says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. So uh, there you go. You have uh, 24-hour counseling available as you meditate on the Word of God. And you don't have to pay, uh, you know, one hundred and twenty dollars uh, uh, an hour for the uh, for the session. I have set the Lord continually before me because He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my Lord is glad. My heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely because spiritually He's on track. Who cares about what the body does? Okay. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added. But because my heart is glad, my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. 
Okay, What is danger when you're in the will of God? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And we get a great messianic psalm that addresses that. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. All right, so that's Psalm 16. Do we choose to identify with the righteous? So many blessings that pour forth because you identify with the righteous. How about Psalm 45, 7? This is uh, the king and he has companions. We talked about this in Hebrews not long back. Psalm 45, 7, verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Not just forever, but forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So this is the the testimony for Jesus Christ as he takes the throne, as he's entitled to reign on the throne. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions or your fellows. So we want to identify with fellows. Jesus is identifying with us. Why don't we identify with one another? We ought to. You know, how many Christians are so undercover Christians that, uh, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't know unless you dug it out of them. Psalm fifty-five, fourteen. Ooh, here's a fun one. Psalm 55, again, it's David. Boy, he understood this. And uh, and again, he's in trouble. He's, uh, verse 1 says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I am surely distracted. Now a lot of these psalms we don't understand because we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We always get God every time we pray. We're never put on hold. But what was it like in the Old Testament? What was it like when the Spirit would come upon you and the Spirit would depart? What was it like for a prophet who, could, who had the access to call upon the Lord but then to not get the answer back? How, how fearful might such a thing be for an Old Testament prophet, for an Old Testament believer? Anyway, uh, give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. I am surely distracted because of the voice of the enemy because of the pressure of the wicked, plural, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So he's going through the angelic conflict, and he's suffering in his faith. Um, My heart is in anguish within me. Terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Has it reached the point where you're ready to stop praying? Because it's just overwhelming. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Just get me out of here. You know, I'm so overwhelmed, just end it now. Just, I'm done. I'm going to fly away. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. That sounds like a fun thing. Let's just run as far as we can get. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Um... Other things here, confused, divide their tongues. Day and night they go around her upon her walls. Iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. 
you know, when, when he's looking at that other crowd, he looks at the, the unrighteous and the wicked and what they're doing. It's, it's horrible. All right. And then, worst of all, he gets to verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. No, the worst damage that will ever happen is by those that are closest to you. Your dearest friend, your spouse, a dear, intimate, trusted friend. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. Okay? Now we can link this, I think we can link this very well with um, Psalm, uh, with uh, Ahithophel, with the betrayal there of Ahithophel, with David losing his throne, with the conspiracy that Ahithophel is able to counsel and Absalom takes the throne and David's got to run. And, and I think that's, that's clear. That was the greatest betrayal David ever experienced. So whoever this companion was, this friend, um, I mean, other than Jonathan... Who was really that intimate with David? Abigail? Uh, Bathsheba? Who was that intimate with David? Just a small list. And who was that intimate with him that then betrayed him in this way? I think Ahithophel is our, our last, really our soul, because Jonathan didn't betray him in this way that, that Scripture records. Okay, It is you, my man, my equal. <laughs> when a guy like David says, you're my equal. Your, your spiritual walk is, is comparable to mine, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together. So what does it mean to be a companion, to be a sweet friend? We had sweet fellowship together. We walked in the house of God in the throng. And this is before Solomon ever built the temple. Okay, David had an intimacy with the Lord to understand that their fellowship here on earth was a reflection of a fellowship in heaven. Let them come deceitfully, let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. And as for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and noon I will complain and murmur. He will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For there are many who strive with me. All right. Um, let me get down. It says, um, verse 20, He has put forth His hands against those who were at peace with Him. He has violated His covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but His heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. That was His friend. And this was the counsel that he used to rely upon. And now that counsel is taking the throne from him and giving it to Ahithophel, or giving it to uh, Absalom. And uh, the aspects there. So yeah, you don't know betrayal until you go through it here. And I think this is, this is it. And, and you know, do you ever wonder when Jesus calls Judas Iscariot friend, okay? Because Ahithophel is a type of, of, of Judas, he is the betrayer. He is the Judas for David that Judas would be for, for Jesus. And when Jesus calls him friend, when Judas kisses him, I wonder, what was there? Now, Judas wasn't saved. He was an unbeliever. But nevertheless, what was their secular, the basis of their secular rapport? What was the basis of their, of their uh, travels together and, 
and whatever else. It's interesting to me. All right? How about Psalm 101? Am I going to get through this slide before the top of the hour? I hope so. Psalm 101, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 101. Another Davidic psalm. And um, he says, I will sing of the loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. So whatever else is going is for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. Okay? We are a Christian home. We, we live on biblical standards. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not fasten its grip. It shall not fasten its grip on me. So he loves the Lord and he hates wickedness. We need to write David up for a hate crime. Wait a minute. Not only is this David historically, this is also Jesus prophetically. This is Jesus in the millennial kingdom. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. You know, do you really want an unbeliever in your administration? Get him out of here. Tell that so-and-so he's fired. Okay? A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Secretly slanders his neighbor. See, Jesus Christ in his omniscience, ruling in the throne in Jerusalem, he's going to know who the leakers are. He's going to know who's secretly slandering his administration. He's going to know who's dishing dirt to the Washington Post. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. So I'm not putting up with it. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. That's who he's going to shepherd. That's who he's going to minister to. That's who he's going to love. That's where he's going to have his fellowship. He who walks with a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. Okay? That's how I got my job as company clerk in the 411th MP company. First sergeant said, are you a believer? I said, yes, sir. He says, good, I want you to work for me then. I like to surround myself with Christians. He hadn't been saved very long. He had just gotten saved just a couple months earlier. I said, okay, I can work for you. <laughs> that works out well. Um, he who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. If there's a liar in his administration, he's gone, he's fired. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. For a thousand years in the millennial kingdom, if he catches an unbeliever in Jerusalem when the sun comes up, that's it, yeah. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land. So if you're an unbeliever and you're going to visit Jerusalem, go home before sundown, okay? Get out now. Don't be there in the morning. Don't be there in the morning. That's part of the millennial rebellion that Jesus is going to have to deal with. But he's choosing to identify with the blameless. You and I should choose to identify with the righteous. Psalm 119. 
Verse 63, verse 79, verse 115. Yeah, I'll never forget that day. It was my first day at Fort Hood. I had just checked in. I'm standing in line. I don't even know. I mean, I know the unit I've been assigned to, but I don't know who anybody is in that unit. And uh, this gruff voice behind me in the chow line says, are you one of my soldiers? I didn't know who he was. I turned around. I saw his name. I saw his rank. I said, well, I don't know, first sergeant, but uh, what... What company are you the first sergeant for? He said, I'm, I'm the new first sergeant for the 411th. I said, all right, well then yes. <laughs> I've been assigned to your unit. Yeah. Anyway, he said, well come, come have lunch with me. And he brought me into the NCO dining room, which I wasn't entitled to eat in otherwise, so I stuck close to him and I sat down. And then uh, he said, where are you from? I said, Seattle. He goes, what part of Texas is that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll figure it out. All right, Psalm 119. Anyway, Julius was his name, Julius Reithofer. So that's why I have a Christopher Julius. Psalm 119, verse 63. I am a companion. And this is, of course, this young man on the death march, I think, on the death march to Babylon. And morning by morning, he composes a new strophe, a new eight verses. This is the Haith Strophe from 57 to 64. And um, everything else that's happening here. But he says, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. Even if I just met them today, hey, he's a believer, he loves the Lord, great. I'm with you. I'm a companion of all those who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Down to verse 79. Down in the Yod strophe. May those who fear you turn to me. Hey, how about that? I need more friends on doctrine. I need more friends positive with the Word of God. As far as the arrogant, well, they can go away. <laughs> all the liars and all the wicked, and they, they just go somewhere else not here. Verse 78 says, uh, may the arrogant be ashamed for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, even those who know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I will not be ashamed. Uh, Then down to verse 115. In the Summic Strophe, uh, verse 13 says, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. See, hate is not the opposite of love. They're both love applications. Don't think that it's an either-or. That, oh, well, I don't want to hate anybody because I want to love. God is love. It's both. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of my God. Sustain me according to your word that I may live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. All right. Verse eight, 118 also, I should have included that. You have rejected all those who wander from your statutes for their deceitfulness is useless. Anyway, choose to identify with the righteous. And uh, yeah, turn away from the wicked. Turn away from those that are going to tear you down. Uh, Hebrews addresses this in the New Testament. It's not only Proverbs, it's not only uh, 
for Israel's application. This is wisdom literature that's timeless for all application. Believers of every stewardship. What does Hebrews 3.13 say? Yeah, encourage one another. Verse 12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So there is a warning. This is like the warning passage we have in chapter 2. This is now the second warning passage. There's five warning passages in Hebrews. This is now a warning passage from chapter 3. Take care, brethren. And uh, there's no footnotes. There's no exceptions. There's no fine print. There's no uh, clue. There's no uh, you know weasel words in there that lawyers like to stick in there. And the, you can read the Greek just as you can read the English. Pastors are not exempt from this. Any believer can fall away from the truth. That there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. You can do that tomorrow. You can do that today. Don't. So take care. But encourage one another. See, and you're not alone in this. Encourage one another. Day after day, as long as it is called today. You have brothers and sisters that can help you to to stoke your hunger so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If, and we do, we should, hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. And so you and I get to do this. You and I, we are partakers of Christ. What does that mean? We're baptized in a union with the body of Christ. So if if what I'm teaching this morning is a principle that goes back to the Old Testament and any Jewish person in the Old Testament could apply it, surround yourself with other believers, great, we get that. It's much more so in the body of Christ. Not only do we surround ourselves with fellow believers, but we are the body of Christ. We are partakers of Christ himself. It's just that much more intense. All right. So that's the warning there. Chapter 10. And more warnings. Um, and what we're supposed to do here, okay? Um, understand in verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, Mosaic law was not the plan of God, the eternal plan of God for our redemption. The law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. If Mosaic law could save us, then it would have, and Jesus didn't have to go to the cross, right? And we could have just stayed with Mosaic law forever. But here we have the reminder. Year after year, there's a reminder. Saturday was the Day of Atonement for Jewish people following the the Jewish calendar. So any friends you have, or my friends that practice Judaism, Saturday was their high holy day. You know, the the high holy season that started with uh, the new year and and comes down through... uh, uh, through Yom Kippur, okay? And year by year by year, they get that reminder every year about sin. Whereas you and I, 
have the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that's taken away sin. Something the blood of bulls and goats could not do. And so this is us now in the body of Christ. And verse 10 says, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Got that? So we are saved. All of Hebrews is written to believers. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time on until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. You mean this doctrine we're learning in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're going to keep learning it again and again and again through every chapter in the book of Hebrews? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. The once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God, waiting, waiting. All right. So, uh, therefore, brethren, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, see, Remember those priests only went in one, one man one day a year, but we all get to go in every day, all day, every day. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. We get to operate in a body of believers in the reality of, of our priesthood and the reality of our worship. And then it says, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's not our faithfulness, it's his faithfulness that urges us to, uh, to achieve these things. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is the value of having a body of believers that, that you identify with that you worship with, that you sing with, that you recite scripture verses with, that you pray with, that you go to lunch with, that you hang out with, that you poke each other in the butt with, okay? Oxuno is the Greek word, the goad, the stimulate. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider, think it through, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Surround yourself with fellow believers, like-minded believers, Okay, and, uh, and there you have it. It doesn't have to be members of Austin Bible Church. You can have other believing friends that are a part of other churches, but just make sure that they're growing in the Word of God. Because if they're not, your fellowship's going to be limited. Not forsaking rapture doctrine, I think, is how you want to handle that. Not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some. Regardless of how you take the episynagogue of the first half of verse 25, nevertheless, in the second half of verse 25, it does say, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing there. So the encouraging one another is brothers and sisters together in fellowship under teaching. We are here to encourage one another. That's what it's about. Okay. The expression, not forsaking our own assembling together. That, I believe, is a rapture doctrine, okay? And so just pencil that in, rapture. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking rapture doctrine, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, again, rapture doctrine, as you see rapture drawing near. So, 
Let us identify with the righteous. Okay? Um, we did it. Made it through the slide. We've got three minutes left. We'll come back next week to verses 22 through 25. Chapter 13 closes with a quartet of verses. We'll find out what kind of inheritance we have to leave. Not just our children, we have to leave our grandchildren an inheritance. Okay, so we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, not uh, forsaking our own assembling together. Okay, and that's easy to preach as don't skip church, <laughs> right? Not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some. And so a pastor that sees the diminished attendance, he pulls this verse out and he preaches his best sermon on don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together is as the habit of some. Okay, You can do that. I've probably done that in younger years. I no longer preach it that way. I believe the episunagoge, the episunagoge is the rapture. Okay, It's only used twice in the Bible and the other time is undeniably a rapture passage. In Second uh, Thessalonians two one, we request of you, brethren, with regard to the uh, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, the episunagoge to Him. Okay, now here we're sunagoged, we're gathered together, but we're not epi up. up. That's right, we're not gathered up. We're gathered together, but we're not gathered up. And uh, the gathering up, the epi synagogue, it's only used twice in the whole Bible. And right there, the rapture passage of 2 Thessalonians 2 1, and I believe the rapture passage of Hebrews 10 25. So let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking rapture doctrine. You know, you want to encourage a brother with the test they're going through? Remind them that the trumpet could sound today. Remind them of rapture doctrine. Tell them, hey, guess what? This whole physical health test thing, who cares? Resurrection body's going to take care of that. We're going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the rapture drawing near. Whenever it is, today we're one day closer. I know that. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time, for this study. I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding and see these verses, see how they apply. Make them real to us, Father, so we surround ourselves with brothers and sisters that are hungry for teaching. And if we have other brothers and sisters that have let that drift, if they, have, uh, if they are drifting away in defiance of the Hebrews 2 warning, then Father, let us come alongside and admonish them. Um, just use us in whatever capacity you so desire. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.